You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. All right. Well, welcome everybody to the Deal Board Live for our second live podcast and webinar. Uh, we're so excited to have everybody. Uh, we had a record over 500 uh, registrations for this event, um, and just like the last live event, um, this will be available afterwards. It's being recorded, and it will run on our regular podcasting schedule on Wednesdays as well. Um, but welcome to the show today. We are talking about a very popular topic, Andy. Right? You kind of teased it while we were waiting for everyone to join. Yeah, everybody is wondering what's going to happen, what's going to happen post-COVID. And there's a lot of conversations about business valuation and how a number of entities will handle it, not only the buyers, the sellers, uh, but the banks too, and and accountants and investment advisors. I I mean, everybody is going to be looking at what happened over the past month and what's going to happen over the next few months to really decide how deals get done. So this is a really important topic. Yeah. But before we really dive into the topic, we know that there are some people that are joining us for the first time, maybe um, haven't been exposed to business brokerage as much or haven't listened to the podcast before. So we're going to do a quick uh, brief overview about how businesses are valued. And like I said, brief. So we're going to fly through this a little bit. We really recommend if you want to do a deeper dive on valuation and understanding that component of it, listen to episodes of the deal board number four and five, and we'll reference those in the show notes too. Um, episode number four is all about valuation and episode number five is about recasting, which is a topic we'll kind of touch upon. And if questions come up during the podcast, please use the Q&A tool um, in the Zoom uh, window. So it's at the bottom, the footer of your Zoom window, there's a Q&A tool and you can ask questions um, throughout the episode and then we'll do a whole Q&A session at the end. And so, thank you, David Newport, for waking up at six in the morning in, in New Zealand to, yeah. to join us. So, Danielle, do you want to help us out and share our presentation about valuation? So while we're pulling that up, um, it should be coming up right now. So business valuation is, um, it, it can be a difficult thing, but really we're going to talk specifically about today, about how we do valuations at Transworld for the purpose of selling a business on a third-party market, which is called the market method. So Andy, why don't you jump in and let's talk a little bit about the first slide. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing we do is look at what a business make, whether or not a business makes money, right? So we're going to look at the financials of the business to decide how we're going to approach the sale. And of course, you know, the first thing that we have to understand is that a lot of business owners do their financials based on what they want to pay in taxes versus maximizing the the value of the business. So we're going to look at businesses. Uh, we're going to do a little adjustment to the financials. And then once we understand the how much money is available for owners to either pay themselves or debt service or capital expenditures, we're going to understand what we're truly valuing. Right. That is if a business makes money, which is what we're really talking about today. There's other methods called like the asset method. If a business doesn't make money, which we do talk about on that valuation episode. So if a business makes money, the next thing is we're looking at what numbers are we going to base the valuation on? So the first number everybody asks about, well, actually isn't even on here is gross revenue. It's which is typically not the number we use for valuations. Net income is the bottom line of your income statement on your your P&L, your tax return. And that's not the number we're using either. 
Um, EBIT stands for earnings before interest and taxes. Since most companies aren't taxed, this doesn't make sense, especially for the smaller deals, for the small to mid-sized businesses that we are really dealing with. And then EBITDA is kind of like the next version down with depreciation and amortization. And Andy, we see this a lot, EBITDA valuations with larger companies, right? Larger companies with that, that need some sort of professional management. And even then it's an adjusted EBITDA number uh, based on what a, you know, a company would earn if they had professional management in place. And then there's the next one, which is owner benefit or SDE or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is EBITDA plus all the salaries, perks, and the number we use. And uh, we've even seen a little joke flying around the industry right now called EBITDA, EBITDA with a C on the end, and it's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and COVID. So yeah. that's what we're talking about today. Like, what is, what is this going to look like afterwards? But what, what really is driving business valuation is what a business owner will make in the future. All business models are based on, not all business models, the, the, both the income model, which is valuing the income of a business, or the market method, which is also valuing the income, income of a business, but comparing it to other businesses like it that have sold in the past. And using the gross, the gross sales are used a little bit, but as a benchmark. So again, those two methods are just based on earnings, what they'll be in the future. Right. And using past history is our best way of indicating what's going to happen in the future, which is really why we're talking about the topic today is because that might not necessarily be the case. So let's, let's take a look at what SDE does include. Um, so SDE, like you talked about, Andy, it includes owner's uh, salary or their share of the taxes, um, owner benefits, like their healthcare benefits, things like that. Uh, what else does it include? It includes all the, all the things that are included uh, in EBITDA. Uh, so depreciation, interest, amortization. Uh, it can also include a bunch of one-time expenses or one-time uh it, it could actually, we could actually exclude one-time monies that come into a business like we're going to talk about today, PPP. PPP is going to have to be discounted as, as revenue and earnings. And I'm sure they're going to deal with that on balance sheets and things like that, but it shouldn't be included in revenues. And then it's also going to take up, soak up some of the expenses. I mean, we're going to have to normalize these businesses like never before over the next several months. Right. Which is, is actually why we go through what we call this recasting process. It's the reason to do it is to normalize businesses. So when you're looking at businesses across industries um, or even within the same industry, they have uh, similar metrics. So buyers can value a business and they can look at a different business and compare the valuations. Um, one thing we see a lot with this SDE is once we, you know, teach owners about how you can add back personal expenses or one-time expenses or things like that, you do have to be careful um, how overly aggressive you get with these addbacks. Um, you know, buyers will ask questions about that, but also if you're looking to do a bank loan, there's a lot of addbacks that can't um, be included in bank financing processes. So that's more that what we talk about in that episode five of recasting. But once we have this SDE number, right? So we go through this normalization or recasting process. Once we have this SDE number, there's a multiple applied to the SDE number that's based on industry to, uh, statistics or past comparative sales. Um, so Andy, we can talk a little bit about that of where buyers or sellers would find these past comparative sales to base their multiple on. So, you know, brokers usually have access to databases and there are databases out there like uh, uh, biz comps and the, uh, a lot of individual trans world has their own comps. Uh, there's a lot of comps available. Peer comps is something that uh, looks at SBA data in the past. And there's uh, Pratt stats, which is now effective, affectionately known as, what is it, biz market data or market data? Yeah, something. Yeah, biz market data. I think. Right. Yeah. They changed their name a couple of times, but this this information is available, and it's really it's really solid. But here's here's the rub. The rub is that we're assuming what has happened in the past is going to happen in the future, 
And we are here sitting here where no one knows what the future is going to bring, or at least it's certainly more unsure. So how are we going to handle this? Right. So we've come up with really three different options about how COVID is going to affect valuations. And, you know, looking at data from our partners and, um, you know, talking to business owners, unfortunately, there's not like one clear cut way of like, this is how COVID's going to affect businesses. And this is how it's going to change valuations. It's really dependent on what happens nationally within the industry, within the local markets, and even within the local businesses themselves. There's some businesses that business owners have taken very different approaches. So the restaurant industry is a great example. Some business owners have pivoted to full takeout and delivery options, where others have chosen that, not that it's a bad choice, but they've chosen that the cost doesn't support that pivot and they've shut down completely. So, you know, that's a different decision that we're going to have to handle in each individual business. So today we're going to go through these three different options and how we see them playing out in the marketplace and how they're ultimately going to affect business valuations. So first option, let's talk about this V shape that we're coming up with Andy of coming out of this very quickly. How does that look? If COVID is a temporary thing, like we've talked about, it is a short-term thing and a business or an industry comes out of this very rapidly and revenues increase at that same pace after all the markets open back up. Yeah. And I want to highlight one thing that you said that I thought was really important. And I heard this the other day and I heard somebody say this the other, uh, yesterday or today. And they talked about that this might be very regional. And if, mm-hmm. you know, like if these breakouts happen again and they have to do re-shutdowns or they have to do extreme distancing for longer, we might see something like we're used to here in Florida called hurricanes and local disasters and what happens. So these valuations might be different everywhere. So if your area has a V shape, and we were just talking about how Colorado has had less uh, cases than other places in the world, maybe Montana has had like extremely low cases. If you're in a place like that, where all of a sudden the world is, you know, opened up again and and it bounces right back what we think will happen with and we've already had conversations with bankers and SBA lenders um, and we can talk about what's happening with the SBA by the end of this uh, what we think is going to happen is we're going to ignore the second quarter of this year so if you bounce back in the third quarter or fourth quarter of this year the valuators will completely ignore these last two quarters or you know the next next quarter and this quarter they'll ignore it and they'll base their valuation based on a normalization of 18 19 and perhaps if we're already into 2021 or the fourth quarter of this year and they're bouncing back they're going to take those results and apply a multiple Yep. And you've seen that happen before, like Andy said, in hurricanes or situations, even very individual to a business where there's been an extreme circumstance that's happened and the business has bounced right back. Um, And we've talked about one of the, one of the key things that happens when you're getting an SBA loan is the S uh, the SBA hires a third party valuation firm to complete this valuation. And we've already heard with, from one of the major valuation companies that handles, I'd say the majority of the SBA work that they are looking to do this adjustment. So if the business bounces back and comes within the normal range of where they were before, they will totally, I mean, essentially they're they're just ignoring or deleting that entire period. Now, whether that's March, April, May, June, I think it's still going to be business dependent um, and it's going to be up to the owners to show, okay, this is where we were impacted by COVID. This is where we are allowed to open back up. And this is how fast we are able to scale back up. So, you know, one thing we're going to talk about in um, later in the podcast is really keeping up to date books and records. I mean, it's something we hammer home a lot on this podcast, but right now, if you're preparing to sell or selling, it's going to be ultra important to have month-to-month financials completed in a very timely manner. Like the month closes, your financials are done the 15th of the following month. By the way, uh, certain businesses might not have a V that looks like a V. They might have something that looks like a pyramid. They might have a spike in profits and sales over the last couple of months. So that'll work both ways. So if you're selling a business that has an an incredible spike, uh, 
then you're probably not going to get that valuation either. They're going to try to normalize it. Again, they're trying to predict what the buyer is going to experience into the future. So they, if the bankers are banking on it or the buyers are buying on it, buying you know, their, their cash flow, they're trying to bet what the cash flow is going forward. They're not going to use the last quarter or last two quarters if you're if you're a grocery store right now, you're a, a meat, you know, you're a distri- distribution company. We were looking at some of the, uh, I sent you, I, I don't know if you saw it, but Paul Eric was very nice in sending something that showed like businesses that are up 50, 60, 100, 200% because, you know, they, 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 they are thriving because they have medical supplies or they have cleaning supplies. So that's going to be normalized too in a V. Right. Almost like what Zoom's going through right now, but you know, but yeah. And, and you see that a lot too, is that that's what we're trying to get to is we're trying to predict the future earnings when we do valuations. And when I say we, I mean, business brokers, valuation companies. So you'll see sometimes that, you know, the valuation might be on last year's earnings. It might be on the trailing 12 months. It might be an average of the last three years. We might throw out a year, but it's all about predicting with as much accuracy as possible what the future earnings are going to be. So you just have to be careful as a seller, as a buyer, that you're not valuing the company to your advantage or to what you you think it should be worth, but maybe like really what what is the most likely effect that's going to happen after COVID? So totally agree, Andy, we could see a V shape, a pyramid shape, and all of that will be, if that's, if it's extreme like that, probably thrown out is what we're hearing from the valuation companies. Yeah. But, you know, it could last longer. Right. And like we saw in this, so we had in 2000, I think four, five, six, we had a bunch of hurricanes crisscross Martin and Palm Beach counties uh, over over three years. And we had someone who bought a tree service in 07, you know, and, and I think between seven and I don't know, 18, we didn't have a hurricane. And the tree services suffered, not suffered, but they didn't have banner years like they were having because nothing happened. Right. And, 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 and tree services do well, even when there's a threatened hurricane, but there was no threats for years. (laughs) And, and so, you know, so that valuation was overblown because of a few years. Right. So let's talk about option number two. So what if we have a bit of a hangover or this kicks us more into like a recession. So instead of talking about, you know, a two to six month type recovery, we're we're looking at the remainder of 2020 or even longer than that, you know, and we can reference your experience, Andy, a lot with 09 and 10, but what do we expect valuations to do if this is a longer term effect? Well, in businesses that don't do well through this, uh, let's take restaurants or, uh, catering companies, catering facilities that can't for a long time have uh, events, uh, it's going to go down. I mean, the valuations are going to go down, soften. Uh, I mean, we're going to see this probably in the restaurant industry anyway. Even if there's some sort of V, there's California, I saw something from Cab um, and a couple other people that were putting out reports that they expect 30% of the restaurants not to reopen. That's going to put a lot of, we're going to get the, that inventory, whether it's, it's empty restaurants, which we could talk, we're going to talk about what happens when the business is not making money. Uh, we'll talk about that last about asset sales, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to put inventory on the market. So, you know, supply and demand, it's guns and butters, folks. I mean, yep. it, you know, we're going to look at businesses. If there's an oversupply, there's going to be soft valuations. Now, in 2009, 10, 11, what happened was there was no really end in sight to the, the, the crisis, right? We were just in a recession. Nobody was betting on it was going to end next month. Nobody was betting on a, on a, uh, on a, on a vaccine. So those bets caused those businesses, those, those future earnings to be based on not 2008 and 2009. In 2010, they started looking at the most recent quarter or most recent months. And so if we have some sort of hangover, people are going to completely discount 18 and 19 other than 
perhaps to look to see what the business could be one day. And they're going to start relying on the end of 2020 or, you know, how they did in the last month. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've talked a lot about this too, leading up to the seller tsunami and baby boomers coming to the market of floods of businesses. And a lot of our conversations have been about demographics forcing that flood of businesses, but we are going to see um, a lot of businesses that come to sell because, and I think we talked about this on our last podcast, because even that they decided not to reopen, they decided not to do well, or they're also in that demographic market where I've talked to some sellers that they're like, you know what, it's time. I've been through a number of recessions. I've been through a number of crises. I've got my nest egg. And, and we may see some of those retirement issues kick up supply too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I fully expect it. I mean, I, I talked about it a lot. I think I talked about this last podcast, the last pod, live podcast about shaking the tree and the fruit falling out. I think that's going to happen again. Somebody, and, and I'll bring up a little bit about the SBA because, you know, that's been a major way that people have, have, have leveraged into their businesses. And that does get baked into the valuation. Like if you're yeah. able to leverage into a deal 20% down, 10% down, like we've seen over the last decade, basically, uh, that raises the value, uh, right. the, increases competition for deals. And so what, what we're going to ha- see is if there's no SBA financing, what's going to happen is people are not going to be able to leverage into those deals as well. And they're going to have to use seller financing. And I think the prices will come down. I mean, P- listen, if PPP soaks up all the budget of the 7A loans moving forward, and there's no 7A loans, just like 2010, we went from doing like 50 loans a year in Florida down to two, right. two. And yeah. so that absolutely helped depress the prices. Now, I don't think that's going to happen again. Just like the PPP money didn't run out the first time. Yeah. It's, they're not going to stop 7A loans. It is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a program that pays for itself. And I think they will unattach the PPP money from the 7A budget and they will move forward. I mean, yeah. mark my words. Yeah. So to give some, everybody a background, kind of what, what we're talking about. So the SBA has a budget for how many um, dollars in the guarantee program for specific types of loans that there are. And the 7A um, guarantee program is the, the program that's used for business acquisitions. Sometimes you see the 504 used, but that's usually only if there's real estate in the deal. Um, but the PPP loans got thrown into the SBA 7A budget for that guarantee program, kind of as a stopgap to get it moving pretty quickly. Um, I totally agree with you, Andy. I don't think this is a long-term issue, but it is being talked about right now that PPP is soaking up most of that budgeted dollars. But we have to keep in mind a couple things. One, the government wants to stimulate the economy and they want to keep lending money to small businesses that provide almost 50% of the jobs in America. It's very significant. The other thing is that all these 7A dollars are actually, they're not, you don't get a, a 7A loan from the SBA. You get a 7A loan from a bank and that loan is guaranteed by the SBA at a certain percentage. Um, the banks are not making tons of money on these PPP loans right now. So, and the bankers like themselves, the actual like commercial bankers you're working with are making very little, if nothing at all. So the banks, I think are also put pressure. They want to lend money through the 7A program. That's where they get a lot of their revenue. That's where they get a lot of their business banking clients. So I think this is a a short-term issue, but I mean, it's, it's in the news right now. Um, It's happening in our industry right now. So I would prepare if you're in the middle of a deal, like I prepare for a little bit of a, a delay if possible, but I don't think it's a, a long-term problem we're going to be dealing with. Yeah. And, and, and one of the reasons why I kind of got soaked up, not to get too far down that road, but the secondary market for those loans was drying up. And so again, I think that will change. I think that, you know, uh, that's part of the hangover, right? That's yeah. what we're going to say. That's why I do predict it's not going to be a clean V. It might be a very kind of craggly V, uh, especially if, uh, we have some sort of social distancing that has to last for four to five more months. You know, there's going to be kind of like a V, kind of maybe more of a U kind of shape uh, coming out of this, or even a W kind of shape. Um, and and so I, I think that um, we're going to see some sort of hangover from this. And in the meantime, 
and I think we talked about this last time, there's going to be some bargains out there. People are asking me about, you know, is there risk baked into the prices? Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's why businesses sell for two to three times anyway. That's a, an incredible bargain. We've talked about that on the podcast before. What an incredible bargain buying a business is because you're basically buying for two to three multiple of a small business. So if it's a hard two now instead of a three or a four on larger businesses, yes, risk will, yep. r- risk will be baked in. Yes. And that's, that's where really, we didn't talk about that, but the multiples are where, you know, we talk about quality of earnings and quantity of earnings. So quantity of earnings, we calculate, we showed you how we calculate seller's discretionary earnings, but the multiple can be driven by the quality of earnings too. Like what's the quality of the business? How fast did they recover through the COVID situation? How did they handle? I mean, we did a podcast on our bridge plan or survival guide. Were they able to get to break even and shave expenses um, pretty quickly, even stay profitable through this? right? Which we're going to talk about in our option three in a little bit. But, um, you know, that that's really going to drive what the multiple is going to be. And the larger the risk in the business, the lower the multiple. The less risk in the business, the higher the multiple. And sometimes that's driven by the, the amount of money it makes too. But let's uh, let's pivot, Andy, and let's talk about kind of my po- uh, comment about profitable businesses through this. Let's talk about a scenario where prices go up for certain industries and certain businesses post-COVID. Yeah. So post COVID, uh, you know, listen, I think we all learned, we always learn lessons from these disasters and we always change the way we operate. Uh, So how much of a hangover will there be in the food delivery business? How much of a hangover will there be in how many states and how much PPE they have to have for the, so there's going to be businesses you know, just-in-time inventory maybe for hospitals doesn't work anymore. (laughs) So there's going to be industries that start to thrive because of this. And, and so business and, and, and be higher valued. So I think there are going to be some businesses that people see as being able to survive this kind of disaster moving forward and they'll, it'll be valued higher. Yeah. And I mean, valuations are driven by competition, right? We've talked a lot about supply and demand. And, you know, one of the the big trends with buyers over the last, you know, five, 10 years has been recurring revenue. So you've seen valuations for industries like the insurance industry, right? Valuations for the insurance industry are are sky high or were in the past. You know, so we might see if there's more competition, say for commercial cleaning companies, right? Because now we've had a situation where they're not just recession proof, but they're crisis proof, right? Um, And we get a lot of those key terms from buyers, I want a a business that's recession resistant that can survive different economies. And some of these industries are businesses that are able to prove that they not just um, survived through the COVID situation, but they thrived. And especially if it's an an industry that's not essential or, you know, doesn't have that pyramid effect, but that continues to operate at a higher growth level at a higher profit margin, there's going to be more competition for that business. And so it's going to drive the value of that business higher. Yeah, I mean, just think about the cleaning companies, think about home health care, think about, uh, you know, things like nursing uh, practitioners or nurses on call, those kind of things. Those people are going to get paid more. All those people are going to get paid more. And you know why? Because people are going to quit because they don't want to do it anymore. Uh, now, there will be a lot of unemployment and that might soak up some of the demand. But, you know, the, those businesses may make more money. Uh, so we will see that in the end. That, that's all I have to say about businesses making more money. I, I think, you know, listen, what we saw in 2009 and 2010 is that businesses were valued higher if they were surviving and thriving. Yeah. So we called them the survivors. Even a business that had some sort of downturn, there was less competition out there, like you said. So there may be, there may be businesses out there that, you know, again, um, the survivors are going to have, once they get out of that U or V shape, they're going to be, they're going to have less competition, maybe able to raise prices, maybe able to make money over the next three, four years. And they were that baby boomer that survived that. They're going to get more money for their business. Right. 
Right. And a plug for a a podcast that we did, I think it was the last week of March. It was on our survival guide or our bridge plan. And that's like, if you're thinking about how do I get my business to thrive during this or survive through this, we outline a plan of, you know, getting to break even, reducing expenses, you know, increasing your growth. Like, how do you do that? And we we walk through that whole plan and we have it as a download guide too. Um, So we'll stick that in the show notes too. So if anybody's thinking about it. So before we go into recapping Q&A, we, we touched a little bit on, let's talk about the businesses that aren't making money. Let's talk about the businesses. Like, you know, we see um, the Colorado Restaurant Association did a survey and they're estimating 15 to 20% of restaurants aren't going to open. Right. And, um, but let's talk about what are the options for those businesses and also the opportunities for the buyers in those industries? Well, there's, there's tons of opportunity for people who are good restaurant operators, right? So, um, I'll tell you right now, and I've said this before, and I think, I think I said it last time, uh, the banks don't want the restaurants. The landlords don't want the restaurants. So I would urge every restaurant owner to hang in there. I mean, I know it's completely brutal right now, and you're maybe upside down, but your workers want to come back. The people want to come back and eat with you. There's deals to be made there. Now, if you can't make that deal and you're just done, yes. There's something you can do before you auction off the equipment. And the landlord doesn't want everybody going in there ripping out equipment. And I'll tell you, for the most part, what we see in auctions is we're talking pennies on the dollar. So we're lucky. You know, I remember back in the uh, nine and 10, Transworld has a strategic partnership with an auction company. We're able to do that for you. But we're talking about five to 10 cents on the dollar. I mean- you put three or $400,000 into a restaurant, you're talking $20,000, $30,000 on the exit. Yeah. So there is something you can do in between then. It, it, whether you're a restaurant or another business um, in a different industry, if you, if you get to the situation where you're not going to reopen, you're done, it's not feasible financially, you can sell the business as a pure asset sale meaning we calculate the value of the business as a percentage of the assets. So that could be your furniture, fixtures, and equipment. It could be a premium for your location. It could be your customer list. And I say percentage, right? So we always think about, we're not going to just take the the asset value off the balance sheet. We're going to work with you to determine what would a buyer be willing in this market to pay for those assets, and sometimes it's, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's negotiable, right? We don't know. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, and it will be dependent on the local economy. It will be dependent on your location. It will be dependent on, you know, what competition is out there. So we haven't, we've seen some of the bottom feeders come out and some of the shark, they smell blood in the water. They're willing to bail out some companies. So I do believe that some of the big restaurant chains will look to, get good, better locations. I can see places like Dunkin' and things like that scrambling for some better locations. I can certainly see local restaurant groups that have two or three locations being able to open up four and five locations. Again, there's going to be less competition. There might be less, you might have the ability to have less diners, but if you think about it, businesses, how many times is a restaurant full? Friday, Saturday nights, for the most part, they're running with less diners in there anyway. So they're going to have to figure that out. But I do. And and it was funny because we asked this last night, how many people are willing to go out to eat now? Like, like if they opened up Florida by May 1st, how many people, you'd be surprised how many people raised their hand and said, I'm going out. I don't care. Yeah. I think they'll make a fast recovery. And um, especially in the restaurant industry, we were starting to see a pivot the last couple of years with takeout and delivery playing a larger and larger role in the percentage of revenue. Um, so I, I think there's, some, there's, I actually know there's some businesses that are doing better now that they've been forced to focus on things like catering and takeout. Um, and it's a higher profit margin. That asset value, right? So yep. say you got a hundred, $100,000 worth of assets you know, you're probably going to have to list it at 50. 50% right. is kind of the starting point. Will it sell for 25 to 33? It, it, you know what will also, and we saw this in 2009, 2010, they will look back to the good days to see the profit and loss statement as, it, as perhaps an ability to buy some of the quote unquote leftover goodwill. 
even if it's not the same, they're like, they can, they want to see how that location did. So that could add some value to your, you know, not completely throw out the fact that you're not making money anymore, you know? And again, you know, the reason why I say people should hang in there as long as they can is because people are going to value businesses like month after month. Like it's really going to change very, very quickly. And, and it's been a buyer's market in my 25 years. It's been a buyer's market, like maybe three times. And each buyer market was very short in duration. And I believe that this one might be ultra short. Yeah. Yeah. I think this will be ultra short. I mean, even right now we're seeing some transactions that were, we're trying to get sold that weren't reopening. Um, like in Colorado, we're reopening next week. So we're closing out a bunch of transactions for salons and restaurants that weren't planning on reopening. And we had the closing date scheduled for the reopen date. The last thing I'll say about these asset sales too, and what's the benefit of not just jumping to an auction is you're also as an owner able to get yourself off some liabilities. So especially a lease, like the lease liability is something we've talked about on this podcast is very significant, especially if you're in a market that has had um, an upward pressure of rent over the last decade. Um, There's usually a personal guarantee that you're owed on that lease. So Look, some landlords are more flexible than others, but a lot of them won't let you just walk away from a space. And going bankrupt, of course, is an option, but that'll cost you 10 grand. I mean, you know, it, it'll it cost you money to go bankrupt. Just, you know, again, we're here for you. We can certainly bring in the, uh, some bankruptcy attorneys to talk. I mean, we, I know some good bankruptcy attorneys. We know some good auctioneers. We could all come in the room at the same time and just say, Hey, what's the best way to handle this? And then you want to pull in your landlord. You want to pull in the bank because everybody, listen, this is what's different about this, which is sort of good, is that this is worldwide. Everybody's in the same boat. You know, it's not like you were a bad business person and you're upside down or you're in a a place that had a disaster and the federal government's not coming to the rescue and the state's not coming to the rescue and the banks don't really care because you're just like in this little pocket. No, everybody's in the same boat. So yeah. I think this could really, you know, kind of turn around. So so that will be good. I mean, but what we're seeing overall is that to answer the question of what businesses are going to be worth after COVID, it depends. Um, and it depends a lot based on the future. And the future is different for all of us. You know, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in New Zealand right now or the United States. If you're in New York, you're in a very different scenario than you are in Denver. Um, And even based on counties, rural counties to city counties, um, and then industries are affected differently. So our answer is it's going to vary. And it's going to vary on a lot of different things. Um, Future, geography. Andy, you thought maybe this might even trigger some people to leave cities. You know, we don't know how that's going to happen. I was just going to say, you know, let's, let's post 9-11, people are like, I don't want to live in the city anymore. That that was horrible, awful disaster. I mean, just incredible. So the city had sort of a hangover afterwards, but look what happened to the city afterwards. Look what happened to the real estate market. Look what happened to what landlords were doing. Again, um, you know, I think in major cities that have a breakout and, you know, I just talked to an attorney that we work with and she's at our farmhouse in Indiana. I mean, she's not even close to here because, you know, so people may be looking to get more into suburbia. And so those businesses, those little restaurants, uh, those deals might go for more deal money than something sit, sitting in the city. And things that are really good at takeout might be high, more highly valued. I, I, we're going to see. And uh, you know, again, we're, 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 we'll be right on top of this. So if you have any questions, we'll be able to help you. Uh, but we need to dive into your specific um, deal. That's what yeah. it's deal by deal. It's deal by deal and things to watch for. So whether you're a buyer or seller, you kind of want to watch what the comps are going for in your market, meaning in your industry or in your specific local geographic market. And then like Andy's touched on a few times is month to month financials. So as an owner looking to sell, stay on top of those books and records push that bridge plan, push coming out of this and showing that you're growing and recovering quickly. If you're a buyer, ask for the month-to-month financials, right? See what's happening with the business. 
Yeah, and 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 listen, all the things and people are going to be applying for PPP. We're going to have to normalize all that EDIL loans, all that stuff. And listen, if anybody gets an EIDL loan or if anybody gets a PPP loan, uh, and they those things are just going to be part of due diligence. Somebody asked about whether or not are there going to be post audits, and of course, we're going to have to look at all the liabilities moving forward, including PPP. If they took PPP and didn't spend it correctly, that's going to be a liability that yep. they're going to have to, and and maybe we have to go to banks during due diligence and say, hey, we need you to satisfy this grant or at least write us a letter saying that you think it'll be satisfied. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, but that's what we do. It, every deal is complicated. We have to, you know, work on that. So let's jump to the questions and um, take a look at some of them. Um, so let's see. I'm just kind of scrolling through. Do you see a good one to answer first, Andy? Yeah. So, you know, Mike asked, do buyers need to be sensitive to sellers? Uh, and he specifically talked about the goodwill transfer. Listen, buyers are going to need, if you're a shark and you have money and you're going to go out there and bottom feed. Yeah. I mean, at some point, if you're going to have to be reasonable and nice. And if you haven't read the book, uh, Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference, I think Chris has a great, uh, if you want something from somebody, you can't bludgeon them. I mean, so I would just say that, you know. And we did that one great podcast on how to win a deal if you're a buyer. And I think that's true now too, even though there's going to be deals out there to be had. But the overarching message, if you don't listen to that episode, was is just be nice. Just be nice to people. Um, so the next question is from Brian. Um, any industry insights on trends in property management industry valuations? Um, I, I, for us particularly, we haven't seen a lot of movement in property management valuations. That's a that's an industry that's holding steady right now. Um, there are some delays in payments, um, but we're we're closing a deal actually at the end of next month, and we're still getting a pretty good premium in that industry. Yeah, and you think about it. So you know, in property management, vacation rentals specifically. If you're going to Disney World and there's still social distancing, where do you want to stay? Do you want to stay in a big hotel or do you want to stay in a private house? We were going that direction anyway, you know, with Airbnb and VRBO. So, yeah. So, uh, Joe Nicolini asks about service businesses are the ones that are surviving and many are thriving. That's absolutely true. Many are many of them are thriving. Uh, you know, my pool guy was just here and, uh, you know, I'm still paying him to do the pool and, and so I, I, I think some of those will completely ignore this COVID thing. And, and other than if there is, say, and I listen, I think unemployment before we're done is going to get up to 20, 25 percent. And mm-hmm. then it's going to that's going to have a V, right? Yeah. A bunch of people are going to be rehired. So maybe it settles out instead of three or four percent. Maybe it settles out at 10 and then that starts to get chewed on. So if service businesses had a customer base of that 10% people, yes, will people start doing their own pools, their own lawn, uh, start cleaning their own houses? There might be a little dip, but not, I don't think huge. Linda has a good question about, it's about a massage franchise business, but I think this is a good general question of what makes sense for a buyer to expect the level of the business to come back to? So if you're looking at buying a business, do you expect it to come back to where it was previously, higher, lower? And I think there's, I mean, it's so business dependent. There's other metrics you can look at. You can look at um, the average time a client's been a client in like a massage business. You know, have have they been a client for two years? They're probably more likely to come back than a client that was just acquired two weeks previous. So there's different metrics you can look at in each industry um, that also brokers can help you with, your advisors can help you with, or what what are like the key metrics and the key KPIs for each industry you should be looking at? Yeah, I'll make two arguments about the massage thing, right? So the one thing is that people don't have money because they're unemployed. They're going to lose clients. Number two is people are so stressed out by this thing that they're going to start getting saying, you know, if we're learning one thing during this, uh, during this quarantine or, or shelter at home or shelter in place is that you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. So a bunch of people might decide, Hey, you know, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my hair done, my nails done, and I'm going to get a monthly massage. So who knows? I have to say one of the things that's been very inspiring through this whole thing is the support around small businesses. 
And you can see that in a lot of local communities. And I think there is going to be a rush to come back and support the local small business communities. And the massage thing, I mean, we've all been on Zoom for pretty much constantly for the last two months. So there's got to be some type of like Zoom neck massage or something. Yeah. I, I You know, I'll say one thing about uh, to tag on to your small business thing and kind of go with with Randy asking about asset sales that leftover goodwill is an important one. Um you're going to have to show that there's some leftover goodwill. And back to the small business thing, I, you know, what I think what will happen is a bunch of people did get $1,200 checks, a bunch of families got $2,400 checks. Uh, they may go back around and, and issue some more money. A bunch of businesses got PPP, a bunch of businesses got EDIL loans, and there's going to be money in the economy. And everybody's hanging on to it right now because they're scared of when this is going to end. But once people see that light at the end of the tunnel and they have leftover money, you watch. Everybody's going to rush back to the restaurants, rush back to the massage parlors, rush back and do their things, maybe even do home improvements after they sat in their house and looked at a crack on the wall. Who knows? But yeah. I, I think all those things uh, will be important. Yeah, it will be. Um, Larry asks about how do I know current comps in my market? This info is not generally available. And that that is true. And we're not trying to push ourselves or anything or our industry, but really how you find out about the comps in the market is you work with a business broker or an advisor that works in your market. So if you're buying a small to mid-sized company, you're probably working with a business brokerage office to help understand what the value is. If you're trying to buy a larger company, you've been wor- you'll be working with an investment bank that has access to those databases. They are private sales, so it's not something that you can just go like the stock market and figure out the valuation on your own. You do have to have access to those private market databases. And now, especially those advisors are going to be crucial in deals like this. I mean, we just talked about normalization of everything from PPP to EIDL to spikes and to drops and all that kind of stuff. You really want somebody on your team that has experience on how to how to normalize all this stuff and tell you if it's normal to pay what you're willing to pay or if it's over or under, all of that. Um, some people asked about, uh, Muhammad asked about whether or not we think deals will be rene- renegotiated that are currently on hold. The answer is yes. Uh, you know, I had a good, I was on the phone with the IBBA uh, last week uh, on the phone. Yeah, it's not the phone anymore. You're on the Zoom. Yeah. Uh, you're on a conference call with the IBBA. And we were talking about to a uh, Steve Zimmerman who happens to be out in California. And he was talking about some of the clubs and restaurants. And yes, you're going to have to talk to the buyers. You're going to have to talk to the sellers. You're going to have to talk to the landlords. And you're going to have to get deals done. So, you know, what happens with the payback of PPP? It's like any other, I just said it before. It's like any other liability that a company has. They either have to pay it back or it has to be assumed. I don't think PPP is going to be able to be assumed. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not it goes with it goes with the corporation or the person. I think I think you have to sign personally for it. So yeah, and we didn't get into it, but you know, there's also legal structures of how to sell businesses. So typically, when you buy a business, you buy it under an asset sale legal structure, and basically, what that means is that the cash and liabilities stay with the seller. Um, So the buyer forms a new entity and they assume the assets of the business, but they don't assume the liabilities and most of the time the cash and the receivables too. So I don't see that being affected much differently than if the seller had a a normal SBA um, 7A loan, but they they usually stay with the person who who took out the loan in the beginning. What other kind of questions? I I did see somebody buying the balance sheet of a company if they have a strong balance sheet. And um, I saw somebody want to buy interesting. They wanted to buy a, a, they wanted to do a stock sale because you can't get an EDIL loan or a PPP unless you were in business before February 15th. So if you have a new company and you buy it an asset sale, that might blow you out. So there are some reasons maybe uh, we're going to see some more uh, corporate, you know, um, people using stock sales instead of, instead of asset sales. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, and there's benefits, but there's also risks. So make sure you're working with your your business broker and your business attorney, um, especially in those stock sale purchases, because you will be assuming the liabilities, unlike what I just said with an asset sale. So, so we have Alexander, who is under an LOI for an e-commerce business that's doing double digits, and he wants to know if he should move forward or if he should postpone for a couple of months. 
Hmm. What it's it's doing double digits. It's doing better, Gross. and you want to yeah, wait. Double <laughs> digit. Mean, yeah, I want to wait. I know. I mean, I guess the the question um, posed back to Alexander is like double digit growth compared to last year. What were they doing in fe- January and February? Right. So let let's take a look and see. Were they on track in January and February before this whole thing really blew up? And then I agree with Andy. Like, why wait? Right. He said it's up eighteen percent. Yeah. yeah. And and Marlon asked a good question, and we didn't talk about this structure at all. He asked. How do you factor in a second wave of the virus as is, is, is expected this winter? So that's business risk moving forward, right? And so there's going to be this gap, right? The sellers are going to be like, I want my 2019 valuation. Buyers are going to be like, I want a COVID discount. And I want a COVID discount moving forward because we don't know what's going to happen in December, November, and January of, ne- of this year and into next year. I want some sort of guarantee that you know, I want to protect the downside. So what do you do when you want to protect the downside in a deal? You, you use an earnout structure or an adjusted seller note. And we've talked about that in podcasts too, but basically what that allows you, an earnout structure allows you um, as a seller to collect a percentage of earnings of the business. So it could be tied to revenue, it could be tied to profits. And an adjustable seller note actually works in the opposite way, right? So you might have a seller financing structure, but the seller note can decrease in value based on a decrease in the business. And and there's, I mean, the great and awful thing about earnouts and adjustable seller notes is there's probably a million different ways to do them. Um, but they solve problems like this. That's why we have them. The one key thing is just know you can't do an earnout structure with an SBA loan. So that's one key thing is like if you're tra- starting to put your deal structure together as a buyer, don't put together an SBA and an earnout. The deal won't go through. And again, you know, when you're working in these deals, I mean, there's going to be some people that, you know, you, you watch all these Wolf of War- Wall Street and you watch all these, you know, people that were like, the, you know, the... It, the I think in books, people are, are jerks during transactions. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure you could be Gordon Gecko moving forward. And these are all references that are going over the baby. Uh, no, uh, they just redid those movies. <laughs> um, and to clarify, Alexander asked the sell, the adjustable seller notes you can do with the SBA loans. You just can't do earn out structures. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, Andy, and I know we've got a lot of other questions, but we probably should start to wrap up and answer some of these individually. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can visit us at thedealboardpodcast.com um, or you can reach myself at jessica at tworld.com. Um, Andy, do you want to give out your email address? Sure. It's uh, quickly ac at tworld.com. You know, give us a call. We are, you know, here. We're working. Uh, Danielle's answering uh, the info at tworld.com. And so we have lots of ways to get in touch with us. And we're, you know, we have uh, 600 people worldwide and we're all affected by this. Our, Our partners in the UK, our partners in New Zealand and Australia and South Africa. I spoke to them. They've been hunkering down in place since mid-March. So, you know, we're all affected by this, but we're here, we're sitting around and we're waiting to help you. We're in our beautiful offices here. Um, So... Yeah, well, we, we're so appreciative of everybody joining us today. We're doing these live podcasts once a month, and then we also have podcasts every Wednesday that that are released via our social media, also on um, you know every, every podcasting website you could be on, Spotify, iTunes, anything like that. And like I said, the dealboardpodcast.com is where you can see all of our episodes. You can ask us questions. You can request to be on the show, and you can also request show topics. So we'll wrap it up from here, but thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to seeing everybody on the na- next live episode. See you then. Thanks, Danielle. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Welcome back, everybody. And this week for our deal of the week, I have Nathan Willis joining us from our Transworld team in Denver, Colorado. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. You have a really interesting deal that you recently closed. Tell us a little bit about the business. Uh, Yeah, we recently closed on a 
agricultural manufacturing business. Uh, my seller was a multi-generational rancher in the southern part of Colorado who had invented a product that was used on the ranch. Um, it'd been around just for about three years, patents in both the U.S. and Canada, and uh, it, it attracted a lot of buyer activity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I won't get to that in a minute. So tell us a little bit about the numbers. What were they doing in top-line revenue? What was the SDE? And ultimately, what did the business sell for? Great question. And this one was a challenge because the seller started the business and ran it through her other uh, ranch entity. So I had to go through the exercise of splitting out the numbers. Uh, once we did that, the revenue was about 500000 a year uh, with about a 50% margin. So SDE was right around two fifty. Um, we went to market at 500000 and we got a full cash offer at yeah. that number. A pretty, pretty competitive deal too. I think it was, what was it? 60 days. It took this one from the time it was listed to the time it was closed, which is very fast, but talk to us a little bit about, you know, the buyer offered full price, but what was the structure of the deal? So this, I was fortunate in this case that the buyer had been through a couple of other deals that didn't, uh, that didn't come to fruition. So he had a little bit of buyer fatigue and he was looking at much larger businesses before. So this one uh, was a little more digestible. And since we had so much activity, uh, he, thankfully he was a cash buyer and the amount of money he had uh, was plenty to cover this asking price. And so once he found out that we had the activity we had, which I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was nearly 100 NDAs signed within the first couple of weeks, uh, he just decided to go with the full cash offer. Um, and that was paid at closing. And it also included the, the final price was five seventy because there was $70,000 of inventory that was also included in the deal. Wow. Well, it's a great example of, you know, generating competition for a business for sale, what it can do to the sale price, but also cash at closing. And this seller ended up getting not just full, but over, well, kind of over ask with the inventory, but all cash at closing, which is super rare. Um, but sounds like an awesome deal for both parties involved. Nathan, if we have listeners that want to talk to you about another agricultural deal, or I know you, you do all kinds of other deals too. You come from a fitness background, you have some healthcare, um, industry experience, but how would somebody reach out to you if they want to chat with you further about buying or selling? Great. Uh, you can reach me directly at 303-335-7126 or via email at nathan at tworlddenver.com. Great. And we'll drop that information into the show notes too. Nathan, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is Listing of the Week. And we have Steve Wright on from Transworld Business Advisors of Raleigh. And we are in the middle of the COVID crisis. And a lot of people looking at businesses and saying, are there any good businesses out there? And Steve, you, <laughs> yeah. you've got one, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Andy, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited about a listing. And like you said, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, a little bit in panic. And, you know, if you turn on the evening news, it seems like every restaurant and most businesses are, you know, hemorrhaging and about to go out of business. And that's really not the case. Yeah, no, no. There's certainly some winners, as we've talked about on some of the podcasts. And, and so this one's a good one. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, so a lot of people are familiar with Carrie. Uh, North Carolina, you know, Cary and Raleigh's always rated as one of the higher, you know, ranked cities uh, in the U.S. to live. And so we have a great harvest bakery and cafe. Uh, this business has actually been SBA approved. And uh, they they are uh, doing about seven, a little over $700,000 in annual revenue. The seller's discretionary earnings are about just north of $200,000, so $211,000. And the great thing about this business is since the pandemic has happened, uh, you know, not only have they just hung on, they've actually grown by 21%. So their numbers for 2020 compared to their 2019 numbers, you know, are up 21%, which is pretty remarkable. That's great. And so how much are they asking for the business? Yeah, so their listing price is uh, 695 Okay which is really a good multiple for a great harvest. Yeah, no, it sounds like a good one. And so what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wants to learn more? 
Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me, they can go to our website, tworld.com forward slash Raleigh, or they can reach me uh, on my cell number, 919-603-4027. I'd love to speak to anyone about this business if they have an interest. Yeah, sounds like a good one. Probably will sell fast because, you know, what we see in these economic downturns is people want to buy businesses and make money, and this one's making money. So give Steve a call yeah, quick, right? that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're seeing yeah, we're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of buyer activity right now. It seems like people who have money are the ones calling today, the ones that are, you know, serious about, you know, making a purchase. There you go. Andy, Thank- thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.